Welcome to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast will introduce you to the people who are on the cutting edge of Jewish innovation. You will be hearing from founders and directors of contemporary organizations creating new paths to participate in Jewish life. In this podcast, you will learn about best practices, tips for engagement, and how to create meaningful connections. This is a place that will bridge you to the tools and resources used by the Jewish leaders, visionaries, and innovators that are creating a new sustainable Judaism. I'm your host, Elizabeth Gossage, and I welcome you to come bridge the gap with me. Welcome back to the second half of my conversation with Alex Jakubowski, founder and director of Kahal Abroad. During this conversation, Alex shares his wisdom on fundraising, his thoughts about exciting young organizations in the Jewish community, and his hope for the future. After having these conversations with Alex, I feel strongly that the young Jewish community cares deeply about its continuity and is inventing ways to reimagine Jewish life in the United States and beyond by establishing forward-thinking organizations. Kahal Abroad is an example of innovation, bringing the Jewish community together on a global scale. I hope you enjoy hearing Alex's perspective as much as I do. Okay, so you mentioned the buzzword, um, and the thing I was really curious about, you mentioned money, and I, I can imagine that the students don't pay for this service because they're poor students. Um, so, and you mentioned stakeholders. So tell me, how do you support yourself? Yeah, so we, we actually do charge when we have a program that we run. Mm -hmm. um, it might be a nominal charge, but we always charge something because we think that's really important to assign value to experiences in the way that 99% of our value-based interactions go. So it's, it is important to, to have some monetary attachment to that. But most students don't pay a tremendous sum of money and it's certainly not enough, enough to cover the cost of the organization. So most of our work really is, um, most of my work now at this point is, is ensuring that stakeholder future of the organization. So we work with our board, our city board, uh, and various others uh, around the country to raise our funds. So about 50 to 60% comes from just individuals, people with a uh, deep tie to the mission. Perhaps they were parents of the organization of, of students in the organization. Perhaps they had some sort of relationship uh, to one of the communities abroad. Maybe they had a great study abroad experience themselves. That's a lot of our revenue. Uh, about 30 or so percent comes from foundations, more institutional fundraising. Uh, that used to be a larger piece. We've been sort of cycled off of some of those larger gifts and in favor of more balanced fundraising models. But uh, though obviously in the pandemic year, we kind of wish we didn't do that, <laughs> but the foundations have been very core to helping us, especially when we want to expand a new program uh, and to really innovate and create something new that might be a risk. It's, it's a lot easier to sometimes to go to those foundations and say, hey, can you fund this for a year or two? Uh, and then the last bit is you know, our revenue from some of the programs that we do charge for. And okay, so the other thing I always try to do on this podcast is ask if there's someone that has an idea and they've sort of vetted it like you did, you went around, you were asking people, do you think that you would benefit from services like these? And so they have an idea and it's vetted and they want to start, but they don't know what to do, where to start. What advice would you give this person? <laughs> it's funny. I actually give a whole talk on how to start anything when starting anything. Um, to me, I think the, the big thing that was very successful for us and that I always point to is research. 
having the research and having the data and, and being very data conscious in the beginning allows you to paint a much more vivid picture of what you're trying to do. Uh, and it also will give you really clear answers if you're honest about the data that you collect. And if you have an honest conversation about that information, you're going to know whether or not your idea is any good. And you're going to know whether or not it's worth it. And at that point, you can have those conversations with potential stakeholders. And if, if it's not resonating at that point, then you need to ask yourself some really serious conversations or you need to convince yourself they don't get it. The data is here. And I'm being honest with myself. I'm not deluding myself into thinking this is a better idea than it is. And I'm going to go with it. And that's really what we did. And uh, when you assemble a body of work that's large enough and constructive enough and, and has that data there, at a certain point, you can't be ignored. Uh, and that's really what, you know, it takes a lot of grit to get to that point. But sometimes you can avoid a little bit of that grit if you are even more intentional at the beginning in creating that picture. I'm really interested. You said you have a talk about how to start anything. Do you have that recorded? Is this something our listeners could um, find somewhere? Is it available? Uh, well, I can certainly send the PowerPoint. Uh, that's probably the easiest because I think the places I've recorded it are probably probably wouldn't want to share it. Right. But I'm very happy to share that PowerPoint with your listeners. So I think maybe the best thing is we'll just um, make sure that listeners can get in touch with you. And then so if they wanted it, they can ask you for it. Yeah, that sounds great. That's that's really amazing. And those are some great pieces of advice that you gave. I love it. Yeah, a lot of what we think about and when I think about solving problems or solving uh, solutions with a, so, or creating solutions to novel problems is really thinking about human-centered design. So putting the human being and putting the actual end user at the core of everything you do allows you, if you really take that seriously and, and are honest with yourself as you go through that process, you can actually dig very quickly into a problem and find solutions, I think, a lot easier than you would if you were to look at it just from your own perspective. Uh, and so that customer discovery is so core to what everything that we do and everything that I've ever done. Uh, and I really, it's hard for me to see a window forward without really talking to some people first. Of course. I mean, I can relate to that because I spent three years uh, with this idea about starting bridges, talking to everyone I could get in front of me and get in their ear of, hey, this is my idea. What do you think? Do you think it worked? Do you think there's anything like this out there? So I understand just putting the grit into doing the research and finding out what is happening in the community. So, you know, we're all about showcasing the up and coming organizations and mostly organizations that are younger. Um, and when I say younger, I say, you know, 25 years, because that's young in the, in the scheme of. Hey, in our community, that is young. Right. Because, you know, we have, we have the federations and Hadassah and yeah. Ort and all of these organizations that are well over a hundred years. Um, and so these are young and innovative and, you know, really showcasing. And I don't know if you know, we've had, um, we've interviewed Irene with Sketchpad and Shy Tribe. And so I was just wondering what organizations excite you that you have seen sprout up during your career? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm always excited. I think One Table is a great organization. Mm -hmm. um, I very interesting. Uh, I think that the community has done a really terrible job of teaching young people how to be Jewish on their own. Uh, I think we've created a system that babies our young people into trying to do Jewish because we don't think they can either take it or want it, and so we just dumb everything down and make it as if a staff member has to create everything for you. And I think that's 
created this sense among a lot of graduating college students that they can't do Jewish on their own. And so they're not even going to try. I think that's just such a disastrous trend that when I see one table that once, once you actually have to pay for the food, yeah, they'll pay you back for it, but you see the receipt. And when you see that receipt, you also understand this didn't cost me that much. And I can actually do this every week. And I can actually be my own steward of my own Jewish experience and Jewish community and Jewish family. And that experience takes one time. Once you do it once, you know you can do it again. So true. And it's amazing how few Jews, by the time they're 25, have hosted a Shabbat dinner themselves. It's, and it's a Shanda. It's a terrible tragedy because to me, that's one of the quintessential parts of being Jewish is having people over to share that experience with you. And that's what One Table does, right? It teaches you that you can actually do it. And whether or not they do it every week doesn't matter. They know they can. I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, my gosh. Right. They yeah, change a paradigm of how we look at ourselves and how we look at being Jewish. Those are the organizations that excite me. Yes. And one table, not only do they, you know, give you the money for this meal, but they give you tools. They have yeah. so much education out there. But they don't overdo it either. Right. Right. They don't. Right. They don't baby you into thinking you can't do it yourselves. They just give you options. Yes. And options. And that, there's a very big difference between options and spoon feeding. Right? Giving someone many options, giving them many ways that they can really create their own Jewish journey. That's awesome. And that's what we should be doing. Spoon feeding is something different entirely. And when we spoon feed for too long, people stay baby. Well, and the other thing is, is that I think so many times, most of the Jewish community grows up in a, not in a day school, but in supplemental schools that are often boring and don't resonate. And that's how they perceive their Jewishness. Right. So they get out and they say that I don't want that experience. Why would I connect to something that's boring? Not relevant. And not relevant. And that's where we lose people. So I think your point is so valid because just the experience of having dinner with others in a celebratory manner and observing Shabbat and enjoying each other's company is a huge Jewish thing we do weekly that many are out of touch with. Yeah. So I think you, you have a great point. Ritual. Yes. Right. And, and rituals are less and less valued. It's important for us as a community to really highlight. Ritual is what binds us, what connects us. It's what gives us, gives our community an identity. And when we avoid ritual, when we dumb down ritual and make ritual unappealing, we're not doing ourselves any favors. So besides one table, do you have anything else you, you, you love? Yeah, I, I think there are so many little initiatives that I really like hearing about, mm -hmm. even more so than you know, individual organizations. I was on the phone this morning with someone talking about bringing more Sephardic life to Jewish campuses, uh, both for the purposes of exchange and actually having people interact. Uh, or people who are uh, really just changing the way that people engage with um, gap year, whether it's gap year in the U.S. or aesthetic America is a really interesting experience there and trying to really define, redefine how people experience the year between college and, uh, and high school, which is becoming more prevalent, more popular. I think that's what I look for are initiatives, often even more so than organizations that are starting to capture a change, change in trends, a change in attitude to spark a change in how people view the world around them. So um, I can't even remember what that initiative was called, but I, I like that one. I love Mishkan in Chicago, which has fundamentally changed the, the way people think about the synagogue here in the city. 
uh, and think about their relationship to a community. And the way I think of Mishkan even is a lifestyle community. It is. They're promoting a lifestyle. Yes. Uh, and that is a very attractive proposition. And it's very much, I think, the way the Jewish community needs to think about themselves is to it being Jewish is a lifestyle. There are many facets of that lifestyle that can change depending on your individual or communal identity. But being Jewish is a lifestyle. It's not a thing you do once a week or something. It's a lifestyle. And I think organizations like Mishkan have shown that you can be an authentically amazing, text-driven, deep Jewish community, Jewish lifestyle community that isn't Orthodox. And that's, to me, incredible. Because uh, that really, I don't see, I don't think I've seen that done before, and certainly not with the efficacy that Mishkan shows, but there are communities all around the country that are trying to replicate that. And I think that's the future, right? It's, it's understanding and Rather than saying, let's do less Judaism, let's do more of it and do it more intentionally and more impactfully. And the people will come. If you build it, they will come, so to speak. And nobody thought Lizzie would have the kind of success she did. And now she has the largest community in Chicago by membership. Right. And so that's, um, I think it's a testament. She has amazing success. And you mentioned other places around the country that are doing the same thing. And, you know, Mishkan is part of a network that's called Jewish Emergent Network, yeah. where it's Ikar in LA and in Romamu and all these others that are throughout the country that are also doing the same thing. And thank goodness, because it's time to have a new way of looking at a Jewish community. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's not a new concept, right. To, to think about this as an everyday thing, but, but somehow it became that way. And think about why was, why has Chabad been so successful is because they make it easy to be a part of your life. Right. And they make it like your lifestyle is supposed to improve with this. And that's really what, if Judaism isn't making our lives better, then why do we all care so much? But if it does make our lives better, it does make our community stronger, then we should be doing everything we can to make sure it gets passed on to that next generation. And that's certainly what I try to do. And, and I'm excited about some of these other initiatives we talked about because they're doing the same. So my last podcast was about a Chabad center, because I think that we would be remiss not to learn from Chabad. And they also do a great job. And I think a lot of people um, don't know this or are hesitant to go to Chabad because I think, oh, I have to be Orthodox or they're going to try to make me Orthodox. It's the opposite. Exactly. Because Chabad takes you where you are and welcomes you. And um, that idea of just being radically inclusive yeah. and welcoming is something that uh, Rabbi Lizzie is doing at Mishkan as well. I think Hebrew school is one of the main culprits for this and the sort of terrible nature of most Hebrew schools. But there's a deeply inculcated feeling, I think, of shame uh, and of just less than that people feel like my Judaism isn't enough or I'm not comfortable and confident in my own Judaism. I don't know enough to be confident in my own Judaism. Judaism is just like a thing that I kind of wear, but I don't really embody that people end up becoming really just not confident enough to put themselves into places. And often that manifests itself um, in rejection. And we all do this. We say, well, God really welcome it for me because I'm personally not comfortable. Right. Or because I'm not confident enough in my own Jewish identity to go into a space that's different. Right. And that's that's hard. It's hard to overcome because it's not Chabad's fault that that exists. But and it's not Lizzie's fault that an Orthodox person might not even be willing to go in there. Right. But these are the kind of identities we put on ourselves. We put ourselves in these boxes based on the presumed understanding of what we are. When in fact, we're all just Jewish. <laughs> we're all just trying to get through this life together. And we all have a different lifestyle and different aspects of it we want to live together. And we have different communal guides to help us do that. But at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Correct. And we shouldn't be ashamed to enter each other's spaces. We shouldn't be un un unable to enter. And we certainly shouldn't judge other people before we even step foot anywhere near them. 
I'm going to tell you that resonates so much with me. And I got to a point when I went to college that I got mad at my Jewish education. Yeah. I got mad that I couldn't go to any synagogue and pray comfortably because I had a minimal understanding of prayer. And I think most people, when they get mad at that, they just say, forget it. This is too much for me. I'm leaving it. Yeah. Or they project and they say it's their fault. I didn't say it was my fault, but I was different. And I said, okay, I'm mad about it. So what do I do to correct it? And that's when I went down the path of studying and learning prayers more and going to different types of congregations and learning about different denominations from what I was raised so that I could break through the lack of education that I found. And so now I actually teach seventh graders, but I teach them, well, in some congregations, they teach it this way. And in some congregations, they teach it this way. And none of it is wrong or right. It's what resonates for you, what you decide with your family, what feels right, that there are so many different ways of embodying being Jewish. Yeah. And, and it, what's amazing to me is that, you know, there are uh, so many commandments that are between people and God of the 613. And there's so many commandments from people and people. And so many times we judge other people based on their observance or adherence to or our, our understanding of the mitzvot between them and God. We have no part in that relationship at all. And yet we use it as the basis for judging them. That's horrible. We should judge them based on their relationships to other people and the people that we know and the things we actually do with one another. And once we start doing that a little bit more, I think we'll open our eyes a little bit more to the beauty that exists in all forms of Judaism and the fact that no matter what side of the coin you're looking at, it's still the same coin. Um, these conversations need to be happening more often. I agree. And this whole concept of uh, putting down our judgments is so pivotal to what is going on in our country right now. And it's time that we're raising the awareness and up-leveling I agree. ourselves and even going into ourselves. And today on Tisha B'Av, it's a day to go into yourself and see what is broken and what can we fix? And the first thing we need to do is to work on our own judgments and our own misperceptions. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. It's amazing. Alex, I want to talk to you forever because um, you're like a breath of fresh air. Your ideas are <laughs> amazing and your passion just shines through. So tell me, what do you see Kahal looking like in 10 years? Yes. I mean, it's hard. We haven't even existed 10 years. <laughs> it's hard to uh, project forward 10, but... You know, when I, I think about Kahal very much uh, in the future as the Center for Jewish Community and Exchange. Beautiful. That exchange is such a core part of who we are as a community. It always has been, and at least as, as far as exile is concerned. And that's been so long. It's, it's so core to who we are that we need to be, now that we have the tools and we have the technology and we have the ability to exchange in, in ways we've never done before, the opportunity for to feel united as united in many ways as the people in Israel, as a part of the Jewish community. That's never existed before as a reality. And as this becomes even more available to people and the cost of travel go down and the ability for virtual exchanges that augments, I think seeing Kahal at the center of that, at the center of making exchange and making different Jews and different types of Judaism interact more together, uh, people of different backgrounds, different uh, income net brackets, different races, all interacting together on the banner of exchange and Judaism, that's where I want to see Kahal, whether it's with travel, whether it's with virtual opportunities or anything in between. I want to see Kahal at the center of that because I think that's so much so core to the future of our community and its success. So I don't know um, if you've listened to Rabbi B'nai Lappi 
and her idea about the crash theory. And she talks about the organizations or the people that are, you know, working on what's going to happen. What is it going to look like when we're finished with the crash that she talks about being in? And I feel like Cajal is one of those places that's going to shine out afterwards because it's changing the atmosphere Thank you. and bringing us closer together in a, in a big world. It's making it so much smaller. That's what we're hoping. It's amazing. I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing. And um, I didn't know about Cajal until I started coming around Sketchpad. And since I learned about Cajal, everyone I talk to that I know has a college-age student or even a senior in high school that's talking about going to college, I tell them, look, you need to know about Cajal. They need to get in touch with them. And <laughs> Well, thank you. It's amazing how many people have said, wow that organization exists. And yes, I'm going to tell my child about it. And yes, um, I want them to take advantage of it. So thank you. I can tell that there's nowhere to go, but there's the sky's the limit. It's amazing. That's where, yeah, that's where we're hoping. And uh, we're really focused throughout the fall, uh, really on strategic planning and thinking about our future and hoping that, you know, 2021, 2022 proves to be uh, a real year of growth and both for Carl and for the Jewish community at large. Yes. So I'm going to end by asking one question because um, I know that my life is better when I remind myself of all the things I have to be grateful for. I know that uh, it's one of the biggest Jewish values. We, we wake up in the morning and we say we're grateful for our lives, Moda Ani. So tell me, what are you most grateful for in this work? <laughs> I think the relationships. Uh, I've been very privileged to meet and interact with and, and engage with leaders in Jewish communities in virtually every Jewish community around the world at this point. And uh, that means something to me. And it, it doesn't go unnoticed and it doesn't go un, uh, unappreciated that I can go just about anywhere in the world and, and feel at home because I know real people who care about me and, and I care about almost anywhere in the world. And that unique tie that we all have is that we're a part of this community and we're trying to make it better. Uh, and I think that's what I appreciate the most. And something that we try to really give to our students, that appreciation that you get out what you put in. Beautiful. That's so well said. And I'm going to say, I'm, since I've never met you before, and this is my first real encounter <laughs> with you, I'm so grateful and I look forward to getting to know you better. Absolutely. But I'm just grateful for this time that I've had with you and grateful for our conversation and uh, grateful for everything I've learned from you today. So, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, being it up online. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast and Bridges 613 will succeed if its social media reach is wide. Please partner with us to promote this important work. You can follow us on Facebook at Bridges 613 and visit our website at www bridges613.org. There, you can read blogs, listen to past podcasts, and subscribe to our newsletter. Please share the podcast and our social media links with your community and enable others to benefit and learn about the groundbreaking innovation taking place in our beloved Jewish community. Your support is greatly appreciated.